This is VLX 98, lame, blind, crippled, mute. We are in Matthew chapter 15, verses 29, 30, and 31. God give you his peace, and omni patris affidi, et spiritu sancti, amen. God, our Lord, we ask the grace that all of our intentions, actions, and operations be directed purely to the service and praise of your divine majesty. In nomine Patris Sifiti, Spiritu Santi, Amen. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. Thus are the words of the Holy Gospel. Picture Jesus Christ himself in his seamless garment that his mother made him walking up this mountain today. Picture a clear day, maybe, with a few clouds in the sky. Jesus is on this hill near the Sea of Galilee. Is it the mount of the Sermon on the Mount? Well, it could be. We're not exactly sure where it is. That mount, of course, has all kinds of fauna and flora. It looks a lot like Napa Valley. As I've told you before, not everything in the Middle East is the desert like it's made out to be in the movies. St. Matthew tells us today, Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee, and he went up on the mountain and sat down there. Now, there's a lot of Old Testament typology going on there. I'm going to define typology later. But remember, prophets would go up on mountains. That's where prophets had experiences of God. Of course, Jesus is God, but he fulfills all of the things that the prophets did. So, again, prophets go up on the mountains. Also, what's significant about Jesus seated? Well, you have to remember, rabbis would sit when they would teach. This is very much unlike our Western university system. Rabbis in the first century, and probably before that and probably after that, they would sit when they taught. Jesus sits on a mountain, and of course that mountain is literal, but it's also figurative of his divinity, namely that he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Even when Jesus is walking on earth as the second person of the Trinity, he's also at the same time seated at the right hand of God the Father. Now that's not physical, but Christ, the second person of the Trinity, the eternal word, the the word incarnate, continues incarnate as God even on earth. And then also, Remember, the sea is seen as chaos and paganism in the Old Testament. So here Jesus is not just on a mountain above the Sea of Galilee, but seated on a mountain that rises above the Sea of Galilee. Now granted, this is not a a mountain as high as what we would have here in Colorado, um, but it's still barely higher than the Sea of Galilee, also called the Lake of Tiberias. So here in Colorado, it would just be a little foothill. But again, is this the same as the mount, as in the Sermon on the Mount? We don't exactly know at this point. Maybe Bible scholars do. I don't know where it is. But I do know that that little mound is full of beautiful um, palm trees and all kinds of flowers. And it's, it's very green. It's very beautiful right there. So if you're doing the imaginative way of prayer, again, don't picture the desert. This is a, probably a very green-looking foothill coming right out of the Lake of Tiberias, or right next to it, rather. Okay, let's look at the next line. And great crowds came to him bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. Now, the Greek doesn't use any definite article. That would be the. There's no the in the in the Greek, which is, why is that interesting? Because it just says in the Greek, lame, blind, crippled, mute, in the plural of all of those. Okay, so 
These are the people who were brought up that mountain to Jesus. But as their friends bring him up the mountain, St. Matthew uses a Greek word I don't remember seeing yet in any of our VLXs. It's very interesting. He says, the Eripsan, if you're going to write this above the, um, your words in the English there, this is what they do. They put him at Jesus' feet. But the word is E-R-R-I-P-S-A-N. Eripsan, the lame, blind, crippled, mute, to the feet of Jesus. Okay, well, what does Eripsan mean? The ESV says they put them at his feet, and the NIV says they laid them at his feet. But the real definition of Eripsan is to throw down, to throw down. Now, that doesn't mean that the friends of the lame and the deformed and the blind, that doesn't mean they were, you know, body slamming the crippled at the feet of Jesus, but it does mean there was a haste or an excitement for him to heal them rapidly. St. Jerome translated that plural verb edipsan as proecerunt. Proecerunt is the plural of that in Latin. That's where we get the word project. You could almost um, make a cognate of this, that they projected them to the feet of Jesus. And this is why the Dewey Rhymes Bible today accurately translates verse 30 as this. And there came to him great multitudes, having with them the dumb, the blind, the lame, the maimed, and many others, and they cast them down at his feet, and he healed them. Quite a visual there. The Dewey Rhymes gets that verb much more accurately, cast them down. And they cast them down at his feet, and he healed them. Again, this doesn't mean people are um, you know, pile-driving very broken people. It just means there's this excitement. There's a haste to bring them to him, to Jesus really quickly. So picture yourself, picture yourself pulling some friend and maybe like a little wooden wagon up this small foothill situated at the Sea of Galilee. Same thing as Lake Tiberius. Really just a hill again, if we're talking about the same mount where Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mountain near the Sea of Galilee. And you're pulling some friend up a little wooden wagon who is lame or blind or crippled or, as the Deuterium said, maimed. Really picture a real family member or a real friend, maybe who is, um, maybe someone who really does have a disability or make someone that you know have a disability in this. Well, Jesus is seated in white. Just picture this. Jesus is seated in white on this beautiful day with a few clouds in the sky and everyone, everyone is bringing him all these people who's being healed today. The verb for healed in verse 30 is etherapusin. Etherapusin is where we get the English word, obviously, therapeutic. Christ truly heals at the root of their illness, not just symptoms. This is the power of God. Jesus is God. He doesn't just put a band-aid on stuff. He heals at the very root of what is broken in these people. Then, then what do we learn? People wonder at this. But the Greek word for wonder there that doesn't have this kind of English connotation of uh, like a mildly peaked interest, like the word wonder. Um, the word in Greek is thaumasai. Thaumasai, they were amazed. In fact, there's an early church father named St. Gregory Thaumaturgus, which is the Latin cognate for wonder worker. Again, we're going to talk later about what the word cognate means. But St. Gregory Thaumaturgus is also called St. Gregory the Wonder Worker. Same thing. Thaumaturgus means wonder worker. Well, get this. This saint literally moved a mountain with his faith in the early church. Go do a search on him. Can you imagine seeing a saint move a mountain by his faith? And Jesus said these things would happen, remember? Well, St. Gregory did it. Well, okay, so this is the wonder we're talking about today. Same word. Thaumasai. They were amazed. 
Now I called this VLX today lame, blind, crippled, mute, because the Greek has those four nouns in the plural right next to each other with no the in the front of them. Real quick, what's the difference between lame and crippled, by the way? Well, the Greek here for crippled is kulus, kulus, K-U-L-L-O-U-S, if you're using the Latin alphabet. And that also means deformed. Um, and as you know, mute also means uh, dumb, or a, an old school term for mute is dumb. So could have called this VLX lame, blind, deformed, and dumb, and then many others that are brought to Jesus. Um, but we'll stick with lame, blind, crippled, and mute because those are the direct objects in verse 30. Okay, but here's the thing. Notice those exact same nouns are used in the very next verse, Matthew 15, 31, but this time with adjectives attached to them. It's just the nouns are out of order from verse 30, but let's keep them in order of verse 30, but with the new adjectives of verse 31. Check this out. Jesus makes it like this so that the lame walking, blind seeing, crippled healthy, mute, speaking. That's what it says there in the Greek. It's using mostly participles there. Imagine seeing this as your turn comes up in line. Maybe you have a little wheelchair or you're pulling someone in a wooden wagon up this slight foothill and you're just seeing person after person get healed and your family member or your family is next on this beautiful day with just a couple clouds in the sky. But remember what I said um, about this word uh, wonder, what, really what I meant to say about this word wonder is there's always peace attached. And yes, there's an excitement and an anticipation in the air. But if you remember the previous kind of guidelines I gave on Ignatian discernment of spirits, I've said this on a lot of podcasts before, Satan can imitate zeal but never peace. Satan can imitate zeal but never peace. Well, obviously on, the, on this little foothill um, at the Sea of Galilee here, there's just tremendous peace, of course, because Christ is there. The second person of the Trinity is there. So never... Never forget this total peace of being in the presence of Christ. And we have to integrate that in our understanding of that Greek word thaumasai, amazed or wonder or shocked, that in this excitement and wonder, there is also an overwhelming contemplative peace on this beautiful day on the top of the mountain with Jesus. Jesus, the healer and savior of the world. What is happening? Notice no one who is broken is left behind in this description. Lame, walking, blind, seeing, deformed, healthy, dumb, speaking. No one is left out of this far reach of Christ on this foothill at the base of Lake Tiberias. And again, even though it's not as big as Long's Peak in Colorado, let's remember this typology we learned from the beginning. Prophets go up on mountains. Rabbis would seat when they sit when they teach, unlike our university system. Jesus is seated on a mountain because he's the teacher. And Jesus sits on a mountain, which is literal, but it's also figurative of his divinity as he sits at the right hand of God the Father. Also, remember the sea, as I said before, the sea for Old Testament writers and readers is chaos and paganism. Chaos and paganism in the Old Testament. So Jesus is seated as God above all the chaos that can happen in the world. He remains while the world um, tosses and turns like a sea. You know, I was telling a friend on the phone the other day, I really think so many Catholics lost the, the faith in, um, 50, 60, 70 years ago because of lack of thanksgiving, lack of gratitude. And you know, I'm the first person to often point to all these conspiracy theories on why certain things happened in the church, why the faith got changed. But as I watch some of these old movies, I'm really starting to see... Um, even pre-Vatican II Catholics had a certain flippancy towards the traditional faith. Even in the 30s, 40s, 50s, you hear priests talk and there's kind of a, um, and lay people talk, 
even though I do admit those days were better, there's a certain arrogance before God. Almost people just assume we're always going to have the Catholic faith. And, you know, very few Catholics today follow the apostolic faith, follow the traditional faith. And I know this sounds corny coming from me, but I really think we lost it due to lack of gratitude, lack of thanksgiving. Maybe this is our, our just desserts for for really going back maybe even 100 years. I'm putting this long before Vatican II, um, becoming um, almost thinking God owed us a living. We lost gratitude for the faith. And so let's look at that last line. And they glorified the God of Israel. They're seeing all these things happen. And they glorified the God of Israel. They didn't just say, thanks, Jesus, for healing this person. I, and I'm going to go back to my normal life. Like They're going down the mountain glorifying the God of Israel. We have to integrate this into our prayer life a lot more. Thanksgiving. Gratitude. Okay, so that's about all for today on Matthew 15, but I want to give you a fun little glossary of biblical terms that you sometimes hear me say, and maybe these are some terms you can uh, show off with at Catholic parties if you want. Let's talk about a few terms. Typology. Typology is the connection between Old Testament and New Testament people. Typology is the connection between Old Testament and New Testament characters. Exegesis. Let's talk about that. Exegesis is pulling out of the scriptures the original meaning, what was meant for us. Exegesis is pulling out of the scriptures the original meaning. It's a good goal. It's a good thing. Eisegesis, on the other hand, eisegesis is reading into the text your own agenda. This is obviously a bad thing. So exegesis is pulling out of the scriptures what God meant for us. Eisegesis is reading into it your own preconceived notions, your own little personal agenda. Um, and so the reason I believe all my quoting of Father Lapide, this um, Jesuit who wrote a lot in the uh, 17th century, he conglomerated, as I've said before, all these church fathers. The reason I quote him so much is so that you can learn what the apostles and their best friends, the church fathers, the holy fathers, taught about the Bible. Um, proof texting, one more term for you here. Proof texting is it's basically cherry-picking your favorite passages to prove a point. And this is why I tell you and I divert into my own personal opinions from the Holy Fathers. But as I said before, I think this is the only patristic Bible study online that is going through the Gospels. Census Fidelium has some good ones that maybe they jump around, I'm not really sure. But this is the only one that I'm aware of that we go super slowly through Matthew's Gospel and then eventually Mark and Luke and John. And, oh, actually, let's do one more word here. One more word to show off with at Catholic parties here. Lexical cognates. Cognates are words that have a common etymological origin. So like, for example, today I talked about therapeucin. That is a lexical cognate of our English word therapeutic. And so it's not exactly translated. It's not really even transliterated, but it is a lexical cognate. So we're going to talk about those in the future. And finally, just a few more public service announcements. The um, response that I got in the last VLX on gossip, I was actually pretty overwhelmed. People were very convicted in their heart in a very good way not to gossip. But I do have to point out there's a difference between revealing private sins and discussing public sins of public characters. So again, remember Ignatius of Loyola, he talks about this. And this isn't just for priests. Obviously, if we priests break the seal of confession, we are excommunicated on top of all this stuff that I'm talking about. So I'm not even talking about priests. St. Ignatius of Loyola says for all of us, priest or lay, we're talking about outside the confessional. If you reveal someone's venial sin, you're in venial sin. If you reveal someone's mortal sin, you're in mortal sin. And if we priests do that from a sin we hear in the confessional, whether venial or mortal, we are in major, major mortal sin and excommunicated. We have to fly to Rome to get recommunicated 
by the penitentiary. So I'm not even talking about breaking the seal of confession. We're just going to table that because that goes without saying. I'm saying Ignatius of Loyola is just talking about lay people. If a lay person reveals another lay person's venial sin, that person doing the gossip sin in venial sin. And if you reveal someone's mortal sin, you are in mortal sin. But remember, he does give a couple exceptions to this stuff, like safety. If you have to do an intervention, if children's safety is involved, obviously there's, there's exceptions to this. And also public sins are different. So if you're discussing, say, a politician's policies on abortion, that's not sinful to discuss it because that's a public sin right there. So we priests are never allowed to deny Holy Communion to someone that we know is a private sinner, but we can deny Holy Communion to a public sinner like a politician promoting abortion. Even Jesus called Herod a fox once. So discussing public people, don't be too scrupulous. Don't have too sensitive a conscience on that, even though I'm glad you were convicted of heart a couple weeks ago. Okay, now most of you know the, uh, the two types of prayer that we're doing, the apophatic and the cataphatic. We're just going to go over it real quick because we've gone over this so many times. The apophatic way of prayer is the way of prayer of not using your imagination. This is the way of St. Bruno, probably St. John of the Cross. And it is sort of seen that the imagination is turned off for you just to focus on the words in the silence, almost the darkness of the actual words without a lot happening in your imagination. The cataphatic way, this is the way of St. Ignatius of Loyola, St. Teresa of Avila. And this actually does use your imagination very vividly. Um, what does it smell like on the Sea of Galilee or in Elizabeth's house while she's making bread? Um, what does it feel like when you're sitting on the grass listening to Jesus? What does the cross feel like as you're touching it? Even Ignatius has you feel, what does the flames of hell licking your body feel like there in hell? Uh, it's very, very tactile, and you use all, all the senses as you place yourself there. I was recently watching a Russian Orthodox priest from England discuss prayer, and he's very suspicious of the imagination. He believes that the devil has access to the imagination. And that's true. This is one reason why some of the um, more Eastern saints like the way without the imagination. Now, of course, the Western response to that of someone like St. Ignatius of Loyola and, and Teresa of Abel would be, yeah, but Christ has redeemed the imagination. He has made it holy again for him to fill it, for Christ to fill the imagination, not for Satan to fill it. So it's really probably a good debate. As I've said before, it's not like the cataphatic way is better than the apophatic way or the apophatic way is better than the cataphatic way. They are both great ways. Try both. And hopefully, every VLX I do, every VLX can now feed you under either method. And if you're doing the imaginative way of prayer, please do realize, as I've said before, that this patristic Bible study can only help you with the theological side of this since Christ is the truth. He's not just peace. He doesn't just give us joy, but he is the truth. Please say an Our Father for me at benedictio deum nepotentis, patris et spiritus sancti, descendet super vos et maniat semper. Amen. Amen.